sent their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither do you care for any man, for you regard not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? You hypocrites, show me the tribute money. So they brought him a penny. He said to them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up children unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, he died, and having no children, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh, and last of all the woman died. Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. After Jesus had spoken a parable to the religious rulers, they now plotted how to trap him in his words. Not only were these religious leaders, but also some political leaders who confronted Jesus about paying taxes to the government. Now, we saw in chapter 17 the religious rulers were collecting temple tax. But here in Matthew chapter 22, verses 15 through 23, Jesus deals not with temple tax, but with taxes to Caesar, that is to Rome. And Jesus' answer put these rulers under a dual responsibility, both to God and to Caesar. Dr. Mitchell shares the perceived underlying motive of these leaders as they confront Jesus. You know, God knows the hearts of people, and he gives to the believer perception and discernment as well. How does he do this? Well, it's through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Well, let's join Dr. Mitchell here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, it is our joy to come to you with studies in the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And how we rejoice in the fact that the Lord has been pleased to bless the studies of this gospel to so many hearts. Now, we've been dealing with chapters 21, 22, and 23, where we have our, the formal presentation, and yet the rejection of the king is found in these three chapters, uh, 21, 22, and 23. This gives to us possibly the last week, the last few days our Lord was on the earth before he went to the cross. And really, as you follow through these chapters, you will notice not only the display of his authority, and the revelation of his person, and his compassion upon others, and the proving of his messiahship, even in the temple of God. 
But we see where he now begins to deal with the leaders of Israel and how they challenge him. And when we come to this passage, chapter 22, where both the Pharisees and the Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribes, uh, they challenge our Savior as to his person, as to his claims, and how our Lord meets their need. You find these people who are the leaders of the religious group in, in, in Israel, and yet they had no heart for the Savior. And as our Lord meets their challenge, he, in his answers you have his personal rebuke of these leaders because they had no place in their heart for God. And when I think of that, I think today we have somewhat the same thing. We have a great many who are religious leaders, but they have no place in their heart for the Savior himself. And I just trust this may be true of you may not be true of you. You may be religious, and I'm not opposed to religion or church membership or going through certain ordinances. The thing that I'm concerned about is your own personal relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me read this portion in the book of Matthew 22, starting in at verse 15. And we, first of all, will read down through verse 22. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful? to give tribute to Caesar or not. But Jesus saw their wickedness. He perceived their evil hearts, and he said, Why tempt you me, you hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then said he to them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. And when they heard these things, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now just let me stop here for a few moments. Our Lord here is under fire by the whole nation. They have no place for him. And this is the final words concerning these leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, the scribes, and they try to trap the Savior and mark his answers. Let me take this first one. Then went the Pharisees. Verse 15, then went the Pharisees. When, after our Lord had cleansed the temple and given them certain parables, and I read in the 45th verse of the preceding chapter, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. And that is followed by the parable of the king making a marriage supper for his son, inviting the guest, you remember, and so on. Now I read, then went the Pharisees. They, it was very clear that these Pharisees and scribes and Herodians and Sadducees that he was talking about them. They had rejected the Savior. 
Or you remember in verse 43 of the preceding chapter, I read, Therefore say I unto you, our Lord is speaking to them, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Here you have the king having rejected the nation in its place of privilege as the witnesses for God among the nations of the earth. And God is going to bring them under judgment. In fact, our Lord here is speaking of judgment. There's no hope for the nation. They've so rejected him. They have no place for him that he pronounces judgment. Their city is going to be destroyed and so on. And the privilege of representing God to others is going to be given as we find afterwards to the Gentiles. Now, look at this now. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Uh, these men were vicious. These men were full of envy and hatred for the Savior. As I said a moment ago, they had closed their hearts, not only to his claims, but they had rejected all the evidences of his claims that he was really the Messiah. And there was nothing now that would satisfy their hearts and they kill him. But first of all, they're going to try and trap him. Now notice in verse 16 that they, uh, they joined up with the Herodians. Now, let me say the Pharisees and the Herodians politically were enemies. But now you've got them gathered together. Just later on, you remember where you have Herod and Pilate were made friends. These two who didn't care for each other were made friends because they had a common issue, Jesus Christ. Likewise were the Pharisees and Herodians. It might be well for me to suggest this to you. The Pharisees were the legalists of the day. Uh, the, the Herodians were the ones who were going to bring the kingdom in by politics. And so they band themselves together to try and trap the Savior. Now listen to it. They sent their disciples with the Herodians saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth, neither do you care for any man, for you regard not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, notice they came with flattery. Now, they had no love for the Savior. They did not believe that he taught the way of God. They did not believe that he didn't care for what anybody thought about him. It was full of flattery. You be careful of anybody who comes to you with flattery. They've got a bone to pick, or they've got something up there. Can I say they had something up their sleeves? So it is here. We know that thou art true. They're trying to, to make a fog of the whole business. And you teach the way of God in truth. Then why didn't they believe him? And you care, you don't care for any man. You regard not the person of man. Now tell us, now listen to the trap. What do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? That sounds like a very simple question, doesn't it? It was loaded with dynamite. If you are really the Messiah, and being the Messiah, you would never consent for the people of Israel to be under the yoke of Rome. And if you're really the Messiah, really the Christ, what about it? Shall we pay tribute to Caesar? Because if you're really the Christ, certainly you won't want the people of God to be under Rome. And if he says, 
pay you tribute? <laughs> then we'll report him to the authorities, the Roman authorities, that this man is lawless. He's trying to get people not to pay their taxes. So whatever he says, we really have got him in a trap. If he really is the Messiah, he won't stand for tribute. If he stands for tribute, then he's against the law of the land, and he'll be arrested by the Roman government. You see, it's a nice way to get rid of the Lord, but mark Jesus' answer. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you tempt me, you hypocrites? He just blew away the fog of, uh, of what, he, what they had said in verse 16. Just blew away their flattery, saw beyond it their hearts which were evil, their hearts which were full of sin, hearts that had no place for him. And he comes right out boldly and says, you're nothing else but a bunch of hypocrites. You're trying to trap me. So, I ask you a question. Show me the tribute money. And they brought to him a penny. Now, he didn't put his hand in his, in his uh, bag and say, here's a penny. Whose is it? No, he said, you bring me a penny. So they brought him a penny. He said to them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. What is our Lord really saying? You hypocrites, both the Pharisees and the Herodians, you're just hypocrites. You take the, the money of Rome, you use it, you have many favors from Rome, but you hate Rome. But you ought to obey the law of the land. You're under the Roman government, then obey the laws of the Roman government. But you run into Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And remember that these people had closed their hearts to the living God. They talked about God. They preached about God. They went down through the cities proving openly that they loved their religion, they loved Judaism, they loved Jehovah. Their hearts were far from him. And the Lord was really getting right down to their vitals when he said, and you render unto God the things that are God's. And may I say, my friend, that when we render unto God the things that are God's, giving him his rightful place in your heart and life. There's no question of what will you, you will do with respect to society. And the more I render to God the things that are God's, the more I will be able to do the right thing with my neighbor. And when they heard these things, they marveled and they left him and went their way. What else could they do? Which leads me to the second one. Verse 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up children unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, he died, and having no children, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. And last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? 
for they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now let me just stop here for a moment, because I know we'll not be able to get through the exposition of this portion on this lesson, but I want to touch it. I want you to think about it. Now the Sadducees were just the opposite of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the Word of God, every tittle, every jot, every dot. They were legalistic. In fact, they added to the Word of God with their traditions. But the Sadducees were a group, I would call them the modernists of the day, the rationalists of the day. Uh, They were very secular. And these Sadducees were leaders of Israel. In fact, most of the opposition to our Savior when it comes to the Sanhedrin was from the Sadducees. They did not believe in the supernatural. They claimed to believe in God, but they did not believe in the supernatural. For example, they did not believe that there was a life after death. They did not believe in angels. They did not believe in resurrection. They did not believe in the supernatural. And you see, if one believes in God, you must also believe in the supernatural. Because God does the supernatural. He's not a man, frail, sinful, weak, full of failure. God is righteous. God is omnipotent. God speaks and worlds come into existence. That's why later on our Lord Jesus said to them in verse 31, touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, notice the difference. They said, Moses said certain things. Jesus answered, he said, these were the words of God. In other words, he's getting right down to their hearts. And what they needed was a revelation of God to their hearts. They didn't believe in anything that was supernatural. And so, uh, as we read this passage, they they bring this test to the Savior. And I'm going to just simply say what the test was, because you remember, it's a trap. They're trying to trap the Savior. And they bring up something that could possibly never have happened. A certain man uh, married a woman, and he died and left no children. And according to the law of Moses, his brother can take that wife to bring up children for his brother who had died. And I read here, they said, the second one died too, and the third one, right on down through seven. She had seven husbands. Now, she was a brave woman. She had seven husbands, and last of all, the woman died. Now, the question is raised. In the resurrection, if there's really... Now, remember, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but in the resurrection... Whose wife shall she be of the seven? She had seven husbands. Now whose wife shall she be in the resurrection? For they all had her. And the Lord's answer was a remarkable one. You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. Why do people err? Why do people go off the deep end? Because they know not the Scriptures, nor the power of God. What's wrong with our generation today? Because we err not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. I have oftentimes said, and I repeat it over and over again, 
when a nation or an individual or even a church rules out the word of God of necessity, lawlessness, sinfulness is ruled in. A man or a person may make all the uh, professions in the world, but if the word of God doesn't have its place in his heart, in his life, then, my friend, that, that life will be a life contrary to the things of God. You cannot live a Christian, consistent Christian life without knowing the Word of God. And I can't know the Word of God unless I give myself to it. I want to speak more to that point as we take up our next lesson. Now, for today, will you please read Matthew chapter 22? Follow along with me, will you, please? Read and reread it so that the text will be in your mind. And as we seek to unfold what we believe or try to see what's in the mind of the Lord Jesus in his answering to these enemies of his, you'll know what, he, what he's dealing with. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. When peace like a river
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins again.